How are you guys doing? Great! I knew you'd be enthusiastic. I just knew it. That's one thing I love about you guys already is um, I'm making some observations and you are like front, I, call, I consider you guys front row people. Like, like in, most, in most settings like this, the first two rows are empty and everyone's kind of leaning. You guys fill this place up and then you go even more forward during worship. It's like you can't get more forward and I feel like it's, I feel like it's symbolic in that you are just like itching for more of God. You're just on the edge of your seats. You're so teachable. You're so expressive. You're so inquisitive and, and hungry. And so way to go. I do have a random question. How many of you just by a show of hands own a fanny pack? Really? I thought it was just Sarah King. Okay, will you bring that to the Pacific Northwest? Because that is left back in the 1980s, and it needs a rebranding and a resurfacing. I can't believe, I mean, that was like a hundred of you. A standing ovation. Oh, oh, this is going to be a long night. (laughs) Sarah's on fire tonight. Well, while I have you here, before we get started, I just felt like I needed to show you this picture of Jeff in college. How could you not fall in love with that? That's just my, my, that's my question for you tonight. Such a hunk. I mean, look at that. He just looks like a British Premier League soccer player. Okay. Shout out for you, Jeff. The next picture I want to show you is a picture of our little family. This was taken a couple years ago up at Western. It's one of our family's mission fields, Western Washington University is. This was taken a couple years ago when Owen didn't have, you know, the super long hair like his dad. Um, And in this picture, I'm looking pretty happy, right? Loving my life, 19 years in Bellingham, over half my life I've spent there. But it didn't start very happy. And I kind of want to tell you guys about my inauguration um, into becoming a student at Western in 1998. Um, I applied for Western very reluctantly. I did not want to go there. I wanted to go to warm, sunny, Jesus-y California to a Bible school. There's several of them. That was my plan. Because that, I'm a Christian. If I want to stay a Christian, I need to go to a Christian college, right? That was my thinking. That's where Jesus resides. Sunny California, Biola University, Um, I didn't want to go to a dark, rainy, cold public university where I'd never find Christian community, right? You're inside my head as a senior in high school. But my my parents nudged me to check it out. It's a lot cheaper, as you know, to go to a public university. So I went to one of these um, tours of campus my senior year, and it it was a visit I will never forget. It was by far... (laughs) the worst possible campus tour any student has ever taken. So I went with my dad and my friend to this Explore Western Day, you know, where you go to the campus, you know, they pull out all the stops to try to get you to go there. You visit the dorms, the departments, all the, all the stuff. Um, and of course it was raining, first of all. Duh, if they wanted me to go there, they should have not let it rain. So problem number one. Um, And then an hour into the tour, I just get hit with the stomach flu. 
like out of nowhere. And I visited like six bathrooms on campus in the course of like a couple hours. And I, I mean, I still shudder when I walk past these bathrooms 19 years later. I'm just, I relive it. Um, I think I need therapy or something, but, um, and then, so I don't know why my dad and my friend did this, but they leave me on a, (laughs) laying on this bench in the Viking Union, which is like our big main union area on a bench and like drape a raincoat over me and they continue the tour. (laughs) Right. So I'm laying there facing the wall with a hood on like insulated, not insulated by this raincoat. And as I'm laying there trying to sleep it off or whatever I'm trying to do, this random person walks up to me and, and says, hey, hobo, get out of here. <laughs> says, he actually said, hobos don't belong here. It's like, you better be glad I have a fever right now or you might be hearing from me. That, I mean, that... That was my inauguration into what is supposed to be the best years of your life. I mean, you should be glad I didn't write a Yelp review or something. Most people are really nice up there, though. Don't, don't like, be scared to go to Sikkim or something. <laughs> what are they going to say to me? Um, by some, and this is a miracle, by some miracle, though, the Lord led me to go to Western. And I wasn't happy about it. Um, but in the end, this verse that I'm going to show you here, this verse marked my experience. Psalm 126, six, he who goes out weeping, which I was <laughs> carrying seed to sow, which I reluctantly was, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Isn't that good? That is my, that is my university verse for my time at Western goes out weeping. I mean, I mean, this is what I was telling myself, okay, while I was laying there on that bench. This place is awful. No good could come from this university. Jessica, you will be miserable here. It will be dark and lonely. People will be mean to you, right? If you come here, you'll perpetually have the stomach flu. And I had these thoughts, like, running through my head. But I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, first of all, those of you who've been to Sikkim, hopefully Sikkim on a good year for the weather that you know that it doesn't rain all the time it has one of the most beautiful outdoor summers you could ask for um, people weren't mean to me in fact quite the opposite on move-in weekend carrying my stuff in I didn't even get inside the doors of my dorm before I was intercepted by our college ministry students reaching out inviting me to core I didn't even get in the doors before Jesus you know I blinked and there was Jesus greeting me through people on Western's campus. And now, you know, 19, later, 19 years later, I can say I went out weeping, but that I returned with songs of joy. Had I remembered the goodness of God that day when I was laying on the bench, had I opened my heart to his thoughts on the subject, you know, had, had I opened my heart to what he thinks and he feels about this experience, it would have changed my whole posture going into college. And we, we all kind of do this, don't we? We, we make assumptions. We, you know, the, the voices we listen to don't always necessarily reflect reality, do they? Even though at the time they really feel real. 
a favorite author I've been reading, she kind of describes my experience this way. It's a really profound quote, and I want to share it with you. Um, It's from her book Anonymous by Alicia Sholey. She says this, Emotions are not truth's vocal twin, and feelings are not the litmus test for reality. Our emotions and feelings are simply reactions to our environment, circumstances, and perceptions. By nature, they are followers, and we place our souls in danger when we require them to take the lead. Truth, on the other hand, was born to lead. God's truth clears the fog in our minds, provides much-needed boundaries for our emotions, and empowers our wills to choose well. Isn't that good? So tonight, as we look at the word... I want to put an image in your mind. I don't know about you on your campus, but on our campus, it's hard to find someone walking around who's not wearing these, right? It's what we do, right? It's what we do when we're studying, when we're on the bus, we're waiting around in transition from one place to another. I'm putting these in right now to put an image in your mind, and that image is this, that while I'm talking with you, while I'm interacting with you, while I'm engaging my environment, I'm also, at the same time, listening to a soundtrack of thoughts. I'm double listening. And we all do this. I did that on my tour of Western that day. I was experiencing, externally experiencing the rain, the flu, the mean comment, right? But I was also interpreting the experience internally, telling myself about Western, uh, telling myself things about God, telling myself things about me and about my future. I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought about that, that, that you're listening me, to me speak right now, but you're also analyzing what I'm saying. You're, you're agreeing or you're disagreeing in your mind. You're, you're interpreting it. You're deciding what you think about it. Or maybe you're tuning out and thinking about dinner or the cute guy or girl down the aisle from you. I mean, whether you're tuning me out or not, either way, you're still listening to an internal soundtrack. And that, you know, that experience does not make you and me mentally unstable. (laughs) Okay? It makes us human. Because to be human means to think, to have a thought life. Proverbs 33, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You may remember the famous philosopher, Rene Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. He was on to something, to have thoughts, to not just experience life on the outside, but to experience life on the inside of our hearts and minds. And those soundtracks that you and I are always listening to, they're pretty significant to how we understand our world, how we view ourselves, and how we view our God. Now, looking at the theme this weekend, what does that have to do with being sent ones, sent by God to share the good news of Jesus? What what, what does that have to do with our theme? And my answer is this, it has everything to do with that. It has everything to do with that. 
And the connection, the connection I want us to make tonight is this, that, and I put these, I put these phrases up there, that the soundtracks we listen to matter. That they influence our identity as sent ones. That they influence our view of the God who sends us. And they directly affect our mission to others. And my question for you tonight is this. What soundtrack have you been listening to? What soundtrack have you been listening to? Because, you know, before we can go um, implement the strategies that Jeff talked about, before we can make our plans, or if you're like me, sometimes avoid making our plans, you know, for evangelism, before, before we can do anything for God's kingdom, we, we must first realize that, that we have inner thoughts and that those thoughts form our identity as sent ones. So we're going to do a little exercise right now. Um, if you want to pull out your notebook, if you don't already have it out, I want us to do a little exercise to see if we can start to notice some of our thoughts, especially as it pertains to being sent ones, okay? We're going to look, um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the phrases that Jeff used in his talk this morning. Um, I'm going to put some of those phrases up on the screen. And what I want you to do in your notebook, just you and Jesus, um, write Write a couple of these phrases down that, that resonated with you. Uh, maybe look back over your notes from this morning if that might help. Um, I want you to write one or two of these phrases down. Um, and then beneath it, I want you to list thoughts or feelings that popped into your head. Okay, see if you can sort of discern that from this morning. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not just looking for, for negative thoughts, like, you know, my experience on the bench at Western, those are pretty negative. Uh, any thoughts, any thoughts or feelings that you're able to kind of notice, maybe it's excitement, maybe it's guilt, you know, maybe it's fear, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's confidence, okay? Um, what thoughts did you have about yourself or about God? Okay, and if none of these phrases resonated with you, that's okay too. Maybe look back through your notes and pick something where you can say, yeah, you know what, that thought popped into my head. Huh? I want to take time to, to sit on that for a minute um, and, and jot those thoughts down. So I'll give you a couple minutes. Um, if you don't n- notice any thoughts and this is totally brand new to you, just give it a shot. It, 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 it takes practice learning to discern sort of what we're thinking and feeling in any given moment. Okay, so we're just going to give it a shot. So there you go. I'll give you a couple minutes. I'll actually, maybe I'll read these phrases aloud. Are they up there? Okay. Phrase one, <clears throat> it is your and my responsibility to go and tell the people around us. And any vision of Christianity that is less than that is less than what Jesus calls Christianity. Number two, um, before you ever lift a finger for him on the mission, before he ever sends you out to reach out, before any of that, Jesus just wants to be with you. Number three, love takes talking. Four, sometimes we're going to get lucky with opportunities. <laughs> Number five, sometimes we need to make our own luck. So by the light of your cell phones, <laughs> go ahead and jot down your thoughts. Hey. Oh, I just... 
I feel like I feel like I'm in a disco. It's kind of it's good. You're okay. This right here, especially, I feel like I'm you know. Yeah. So here you go. Give you a couple minutes, and I'll call us back together in a minute. Move with it. I'll move with it. All right. So hopefully you were able to notice a couple of your thoughts you had for a phrase or two. Part of the reason I do that is because if we consciously, sometimes if we don't, if we don't consciously sit down with our thoughts and, and, and look at them and sit with them and let ourselves realize them, we can go through life just with these soundtracks that we, we don't realize what we're having. So we're going to practice that a little bit, Okay. So again, back to my initial question, what soundtrack have you been listening to? And you're going to be really tempted to listen to the soundtrack of that blinking light, but I'm going to tell you to turn that soundtrack down. Try to listen to me, okay? What soundtrack have you been listening to? Um, We have a tendency, don't we, to listen, to invite, to accept wonky soundtracks. And tonight we are going to look, we're going to spend a couple minutes looking at where this problem comes from. It's not a new problem. Um, We're going to look at a moment in the Garden of Eden where we see the very first example of this. Um, This problem of listening to the wrong voices, it dates back to when humanity first entered the scene. And we're going to revisit some of those moments tonight. So open up your Bibles um, to Genesis 3. You're welcome to join. We are reading it on the screen too. We're going to look... Um, at an interaction here between the serpent, who's also known as Satan, and Eve, okay? And actually, as an aside about this serpent, about Satan, Jesus talks about him. Jesus describes him in John eight forty four. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies, okay? That's Jesus' description of this serpent we're going to read about. So uh, chapter 3, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now I'm going to stop us here because I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Satan says to Eve, Did God really, the word really, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He he didn't say, did God say. He said, did God really say. Can it really be that God would tell you you can't do that? Would, Would God do that? He's questioning not the information. He's questioning the very character of God. Satan didn't ask her, did God make this rule? But rather, what kind of a God, what kind of a God makes a rule like that? See, he's not planting doubt about her information. He's planting doubt about God's character, about what God is like, that he would make a rule like that. Okay, and then Eve answers him. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, here, right here, right here is where Eve falls. Okay, right here is where she is lost, not when she touches the tree. Okay, so follow me here. Satan challenges her view of God. What is the best thing Eve could have done right then? Anybody? What's the best thing Eve should have done at that point? Okay, respond. Pull him out of the tree and step on his head. <laughs> I want you to think about that. Think about that for just a minute, though. What, what, what should she have done right then when he challenges her view of God? Now, hear this. She and Adam, they have a relationship with God. They, they interact with him regularly. Why didn't she say, Hold on, Satan. I'm not even going to answer that because God, he's right over there. God, could you come over here for a second? Second, Satan has a question. He has a question for you. (laughs) And she steps back and she lets God speak. She lets God protect her, but she doesn't. She starts, that's what she does. She starts to think to herself. Hmm, what is God like? And now God is out of the picture and it's just her. And she thinks, huh, he said we can't eat it. He said we can't even touch it. I mean, what Eve says to the serpent here is her soundtrack. Suddenly God becomes a little harsh. And if you, it's interesting, if you go back to Genesis 2, if you read God's initial instructions, he never actually says that they couldn't touch it. In fact, the tone of his instruction is one of freedom. Eat freely. Eat freely. Just don't eat that one. But now what she starts to think is, he's saying don't touch. It's Eve absorbing Satan's lie that God is a killjoy. That instead of a giver of freedom, he wants to hold something back from her. And she's now adding that identity to her understanding. Her view of God changes, and it goes downhill. And here's what I want us to hear. Here's what I want us to hold on to. Introspection, apart from conversation with God, is dangerous. Introspection, apart from conversation with God, is dangerous. As sent ones, you guys, as sent ones, it's a bad idea to make our plans to reach out or avoid making our plans to reach out apart from talking with God about it. As sent ones, may we not evaluate our evangelism or someone else's evangelistic experience. May we not evaluate that apart from talking with God about it. May we not engage in introspection apart with conversation with God. Okay, we're going to follow. Let's follow the conversation between Eve and Satan into verse 4. Satan speaking here, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So, so here we go. Satan continues the dialogue apart from God. He said, you will not certainly die, Eve. Come on. What kind of a God is that? What, what kind of a God makes a tree and says you can't touch it? Says, says you can't eat of it. And she starts thinking, right? She starts thinking, yeah. What did he say that if we even touch it, we'll die? Yeah, you're right, but you won't die. You know what? Here's really the character of God. If you eat it, you won't die. You'll become like him. Eve, he's holding something back from you. So you see this, right? It's Eve and Satan having a conversation about God who's not present in the conversation. Dangerous. And then we see the moment we all notice about this story, her thought life turns into action, right? Verse 6. <clears throat> when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of the, both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's Eve. You know, she starts thinking about God, starts thinking about the tree. If God's not going to give it to me, I'll get it for myself, right? Eve's process of rebelling from God, it didn't start when she touched the fruit. That's just, that's just like the outward expression of what's already happened. Okay? When she first sins, when Eve first becomes lost, is when she believes something false about God. When Eve first becomes lost is when she believes something false about God. Anytime, anytime we believe something false about what God is like, even unintentionally, we're in danger of becoming lost. God's mean, you know, God's distant, God's, God's not that powerful. These kinds of thoughts, you know, Satan's right there saying, yeah, you know, what kind of a God makes a rule like that? What kind of a God makes you fail that test? What kind of a God makes that bad thing happen in your family? What, what, what kind of a God calls you to reach out to that friend and it totally backfires? And we, you know what we say? We say, huh? Hmm. I don't know. We think about that. Instead of going to God and saying, God, I need you to tell me what's happening through your word, through your spirit, you know, however, I need you to interpret these circumstances for me and talk to me about this. If, if Eve would have done that, she would have been fine. The story, the story would have looked different. There's a danger in being our own conversation partner. The result of that can hold us back from having a right mindset as sent ones, okay? Personally for me, um, I wish I could say otherwise, but I am no stranger to inviting wonky soundtracks into my life. I, um, it's a huge part of my Jesus rescue story was um, all the different soundtracks I faced, how the Holy Spirit has rewritten them in my heart and my mind and is still rewriting them. I wish I had time to share all of them today, but I don't. I, I love, though, I love, don't you love that we get to walk with a God who doesn't just care about our behavior, 
but, but he cares about our thoughts. He cares about our feelings and, and he redeems the places that no one else sees. Amen. I have a, an example of this, especially as it comes to me learning um, how to be a sent one. I have a friend named Jen. I, may, I met Jen eight years ago in a swimming pool. It's kind of random. Both of us had babies, our first babies at the time. And we were part of this baby and me swim class, which <laughs> it's actually not a swimming class at all. We basically hold our babies and we chat and there happens to be some water around us, you know? So save your money, young moms. Brittany, you save your money. Don't do that. Okay. So Jen and I got to talking because that's what you do in the shallow pool. Um, And we realized, Jen and I realized that we were neighbors. It's funny. Only in the Northwest, right? Can you be neighbors for that long and not know it? We need some of your Southern hospitality. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, we find out we're neighbors, um, she, and Jen was this, like, she's like this tall, gorgeous, put-together, very regal, queen-like person, and I, she's confident, you know, I was kind of intimidated, kind of mesmerized, kind of like, I want to be her friend. Um, we struck up a friendship, and, and, I, and I realized that she was also, she was a lot of things. She was really well-off, really well-educated, brilliant. She's like the epitome of the Pacific Northwest stereotypes, right? She's also like super outdoorsy, fiercely independent, politically active. She's like the whole cultural package of what it means to be human in the Pacific Northwest. But when it came to things of faith, she was pretty closed. Anytime I would, you know, bring up my little thing about going to church or praying or whatever, she would just kind of shut down and change the subject, okay? So this pattern went on for years. I was intimidated by her reaction, um, her intelligence, her confidence. I didn't want her to think I was a total idiot, right? So I kept pretty quiet about my faith and just kind of kept being friends with her. You know Jeff's phrase that he used, love takes talking, This is my inner response to that with Jen. I was like, sorry, no talking. We don't need to do, no talking, please. The last couple times I tried, she shut down. So love doesn't take talking this time. Thanks, Lord. (laughs) Love takes having a play date and coffee, keeping things casual. Amen. (laughs) Hey. Notice nowhere in my story did I actually stop and ask Jesus what he wanted me to think and do. I let my nervous, anxious thoughts and feelings about her, about how she viewed me, about not wanting to seem pushy, I let those things inform my relationship with her. I let those things be my soundtrack every time I hang out with her for the last eight years. We're going to push pause on that story. We're going to come back to it because I want to finish the Eve story for a minute. Okay. I want to finish the Adam and Eve story. Verse eight, chapter three, verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Which is another way of saying, why are you hiding from me? Okay. And, and notice what God, or I'm sorry, he says this. He says, um, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Okay, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And listen to what God asks him. He said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? Okay, Adam and Eve's response. Them saying all of a sudden that they were afraid of God. Do you realize that was completely opposite of everything that's true about Adam and Eve? I mean, they are in the exact same situation that they were in 10 minutes ago, okay? They, um, they walked with God not that long ago. They're believers, but now they're afraid of him. That They're ashamed to be seen by him. They're, they're, their view of him, their view of themselves is being seen through the lens of sin now. You know, everything causes shame, everything causes guilt, everything causes fear, I mean, why, why the sudden shame? You know, is there, is there some chemical in the fruit that causes shame? No. Their shame comes from viewing God and viewing themselves through the wrong lens. Right, so even, you know, even though God's right there next to them, Satan's telling them who they are, Satan's telling them who God is, how they look, how they should feel. So what I want us to hear is this, learn to ask who told me that? Who told me that? This is the biggest question you can ask yourself all day long, every day, every time you have a thought. <laughs> Who just told me that? Now back to my friend Jen, the queen looking lady from the pool, right? Well, it's interesting, you guys, because it was while I was studying this topic recently that I finally faced God with her after eight years of avoiding it with him. Okay? I sat down with him, and um, I started by telling God the facts. You ever do that? Just tell God that. Look at the facts, God. <laughs> we do that. Look at the facts. Jen is wealthy. She's well-educated. She has a network of strong relationships. She has high moral standards. She has a solid marriage. And every time I've hinted at bringing you up, she disengages. So look at the facts. She doesn't feel a need for you. And until I see her show a need for you, I feel it's best to keep quiet about you. There are the facts. Amen. We do that, don't we? Tell God the facts. I also told God this fact. Here's one. I told God this, God, I actually told him this, God, my Myers-Briggs, my Myers, you know what I'm going to say, my Myers-Briggs tells me that persuading others in an evangelistic context is not my personality type. So there's that, I'm gifted at listening, encouraging, making her a meal when she's sick, not proselytizing. There's the facts on her end. There's the facts on my end, God. Amen. Right? We do that. We tell God the facts about who we are, about our situation, and we call it prayer. But then the thought struck me while I'm here praying, 
kind of praying that I should probably ask the Lord, finally, what he thinks. And you know what the Lord said? This was not an audible voice here. I mean, impressions on my heart over the course of a few weeks, okay? Truth bombs over the course of a few weeks, confirmed through scripture, confirmed through community. He essentially spoke to me very lovingly, but very directly. And he said this, Jessica, I know the facts. How about for once you let me tell you the facts? How about you let me tell you what the facts mean? Let's, let's switch up this relationship here. And how about you stop telling me what the facts mean? I tell you what's going on. I tell you who you are. I tell you who Jen is. You listen and you do what I say. <laughs> okay, that's more like prayer. Um, as an aside, you guys, in case you're about to call me a Myers-Briggs hater... I love that test. I love that thing. It has been huge for me. But neither Myers nor Briggs is Lord and Savior of my life. Okay? Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. So he gets to inform me of my identity. He gets to tell me what to do. And he gets to tell me how it went afterward. Okay? Back to the conversation. So now we'd established who's in charge again. It's always helpful in prayer. We could move on. I began asking him, Lord, show me how to approach um, this topic of faith with Jen. Show me what to do. I am stuck, and I let go of all the facts. And it's actually this passage in Genesis. Studying this passage gave me a lens for how to approach her. Because, see, it was my wrong view of God and my wrong view of myself that was holding me back from sharing with her, okay? And the Lord began to show me that she also had a wrong view of God. Because, friends, lost people are lost because what they believe about God is false, okay? What people believe about God is what causes people to be lost. And the Lord started just showing me, you know, Jessica, if you can get in touch with with what people believe is true about God, you can begin to help them see their lostness. And if if we can ask our friends, who told you that? Who told you God is like that? You weren't born thinking that? You know, where where did you learn it? Oh, I learned it. I learned it from you know life circumstances, or learned it from my family, or learned it from church experience, wherever. Where did you not learn it from? God, now we can get somewhere. Okay, and with with Jen in particular, the Lord prompted me with this thought, Jessica, what is Jen's view of me? What lens is she seeing me through? What is her earliest memory of me? Have you ever asked yourself that? What was my earliest memory of God? My earliest lens I was given. And was it true? So I sat down one day and I just asked her. I didn't like have a fancy intro. I just asked her. I said, you know, um, Jen, you know I'm a Jesus person. You've always been super kind and tolerant of that. But I'm curious. I've never really asked you. Where are you at with 
faith. And can I ask, what, you know, what was your earliest memory? I'm just curious. What was your earliest memory, your earliest interaction with the church or, or the idea of God? And she shocked me because she started opening up. She didn't just open up. Her story started spilling out as if she was dying to tell someone, okay? Her earliest memory was when she was eight years old. She'd gotten confirmed in the Catholic Church, um, was eager to get, or she hadn't, I'm sorry, she hadn't gotten confirmed. She'd gone through all the confirmation classes, She was eager to get confirmed, but the last minute, the priest told her, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you do that because your mom's divorced. Okay, she felt crushed. She felt punished by her mother's decisions. She um, felt that she was somehow unworthy in God's eyes. She maybe wasn't good enough or her mom wasn't good enough. For, for them to become followers. That was her earliest lens. No wonder she shut down. No wonder she shut down. That was her earliest lens of what God was like. And you know what I was able to do, you guys? I was able to tell Jen that I think she was handed a wrong lens. Yeah. I, I was able to encourage her to reopen the conversation with God. To, to ask him, I said, I just... I just encourage you, would you be willing, would you be willing if, if you think he might, there's a chance he might be real, would you ever ask him to, to like speak to you, to, to show you who he actually is instead of that wrong lens you were given? And you know what, you guys? She actually started doing it. She told me later in her own words, she said this, I'm starting to just open up my heart more to the universe. And to God, if he's real. Okay, I don't have one of these stories of Jen, of taking her from A to Z in the faith. I didn't sit right there, and we weren't on our knees, and I wasn't praying with her to invite Jesus into her life. But do you see how evangelism isn't always taking people from A to Z? It's like taking her from A to F. You know, and that that matters, and that that starting point That starting point, not just of helping her discover her wrong lens, but of me as the sent one realizing my wrong lens. You know, here we go. She gets a better lens for who God really is. I get a better lens for who God and myself really are. It's a win-win. Okay? Now, I don't know what the end of her story will be, but I know that both of our wonky soundtracks were quieted. And Jesus's got louder. Learn to ask, who told me that? Learn to ask each other, who told you that? And you know, tonight, friends, your your who told me that might be different from my who told me that. Your, Your soundtracks might not sound like my soundtracks. But I want to give you some examples of what I'm talking about, especially being sent ones who are double listening, okay? Listening to the person we're sharing with, but also listening to the little voices in our heads about ourselves, about our performance, about whether we're doing a good job or not, 
okay? Have you ever stopped and shared your faith with a friend, and afterward, when someone asks you about it, you're like, ah, it wasn't that good. Who told you it wasn't that good? Did God tell you it was awful? Does God do that? Or we hear, you know, that little voice, why am I doing evangelism? That guy didn't even understand me. He probably doesn't like me anymore. And we're like, yeah, I know. You're probably right, voice in my head. We hear, you know, I would not do that anymore. I know, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. The next time you try to do it a week later, remember last time, didn't go very well. We say, oh, I know, I know. Ugh. I don't think you have the gift for evangelism. Yeah, I know. I'm not like so-and-so, that other guy in focus. Or we, hear, or we hear this. Hey, you're the only person who can reach them, and if you screw this up, you screw them up. You ever heard that one? Or we hear the one that I heard, which is, you know, it's no use sharing with them. They don't have a need for God in their life, and you might look like an idiot if you try. Not worth the risk. Or we hear this one. This one's the worst. You really should be doing more evangelism. You're not a very good Christian. And we say, yeah, I know. God's pretty disappointed in you right now. I know, I'm I'm lame. See that other focus student over there? They share Jesus with someone like every day. So you need to up your game. And we're like, I know. Is that God's voice? I mean, how utterly uninspiring are those thoughts? They don't motivate us, do they? They they weaken us. Romans 8, 6 says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? It's life and peace. It's life. That's what the spirit sounds like, life and peace, not death. Or, you know, maybe, you, maybe your soundtrack sounds totally different from that. Maybe you are actively reaching out, out you're, you share your faith regularly, you're, you're on your A-game, and, you know, people respond well, and then you think this, yep, Jesus is pleased with me. My campus pastor is impressed with me right now. They're going to ask me to be an apprentice. I'm a pretty awesome Christian because of all evangelism I just did, and people really should be more like me. Maybe you have that voice, okay? Is that kind of religiosity God's voice? No. Friends, the invitation, the invitation for us as sent ones is to stop passively accepting these thoughts as if they're true, okay? To, to stop submitting to lies about ourselves. And instead, the invitation is to start hearing again his voice in our lives, this voice of grace that inspires us, that does not shame us. I mean, that song, Tremble, tonight, that we sang during worship, that Garrett introduced to us, Tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Okay, Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. I love that. Do you want to know, do you want to know what I think God sounds like? Mark 111 is what I think God sounds like. You are my son, who I love. With you, I am well pleased. Okay, this was spoken by God to Jesus before Jesus ever reached anyone for the kingdom. 
It was right after his baptism, and he hadn't done anything. This is my son. This is my daughter who I love. With you, I'm well pleased. I think Jesus sounds like this. You're growing. There's a learning curve, and that's okay. Or, or Jesus sounds like this, that interaction you just had, no matter how you feel it went, I can use it in that person's life. It's your faithfulness to try, not that person's response, that you are responsible for. You are not that person's savior, I am. Even if people don't seem like they need me, they need me. Or here's a big one. You are not more loved the more evangelism you do or less loved the less you do. Okay, I mean, that sounds like Jesus to me. But unless I pay attention to my thoughts, I may not catch the difference. Okay, we, mean, we need to, to learn. We need to learn and to, to practice asking regularly, who told me that? And then turn those soundtracks down if they're not from Jesus. And then create the space to turn up the Jesus soundtrack, okay? To spend time with him, to read his word, to listen for his voice on our own and with each other. Okay, you know another way to do it? To ask each other. I want to invite you focus students to actually just ask each other that phrase. When you suspect that, um, that it's not God's voice and a friend's thought, you can say this, who told you that? Who told you that? I mean, just, even if they aren't able to answer, just the question alone can snap us back into truth sometimes. Okay? What we're going to do as we close, um, what I want us to do is pull out um, the phrases that we kind of looked at from the beginning, um, where you listed your thoughts, okay? Um, There's this book that, um, along with the Bible, has been pretty instrumental for me in helping me in my thought life. It's called Telling Yourself the Truth. Um, It's right here. It's kind of falling apart, (laughs) Um, so if you want to come look at it, you can be careful with it. Um, cause it's like shredded. Um, so it's telling yourself the truth by William Backus. And he calls this process that we're going to exercise right now, this process of going from truth to lie, excuse me, from lie to truth. <laughs> Not going to do that. <laughs> we do that pretty well on our own. <laughs> um, going from lie to truth. He calls it misbelief therapy. Okay. You, you call it what you want. <laughs> Um, the process, what it is, it's by the, the process by which we go with the help of the Holy Spirit, the process by which we go from um, where we identify an untrue thought, where we remove that untrue thought, and where we replace it with truth. Okay, this is an exercise that I do often in my personal life. I, I have to, otherwise things get kind of wonky for me. Um, so you pull out, as you pull out the phrases from earlier, I want you to pick um, whichever one, just pick one, um, that carried with it an untrue thought. 
hey, and maybe, maybe it's not one of the phrases, you know, maybe for you, it's not even something that triggered, you know, maybe it's not even something that Jeff said per se, but maybe it's something that's come up for you this weekend or a situation that you're wrestling with. I want you to take a few minutes to pray quietly and ask the Lord to reveal to you what the truth is. I want you to write it down. Um, And here's the thing, I want you to write down what you hear, and I want to invite you to write it. And I do this all the time in in my quiet times. Invite you to write it as if God was writing it to you in his first person voice. Okay, and then I want you to find a scripture, um, if we have the time, to reinforce God's soundtrack to you. Okay, so we see here, my thought, we're going to write that down, my thought, God's word to me. And a scripture. And, and I'm not just throwing scripture in there because it's like a, we're at a Christian camp and we probably should. Okay. When Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, when Jesus was tempted with an untrue soundtrack from Satan, what does he use to proclaim truth? The word. The word. Okay. That's why we do it because Jesus did it and there's power in it. So I'm going to put the phrases on the screen again in case you need a reminder. And I just, I want to say this one more time. If you feel like you can't really identify what you were thinking or what God's saying or what scripture to find, it's okay. This is, this is the first time many of us are even trying this. And also, it really helps to do this in community. Um, so you're going to do it by yourself right now, but I want to encourage you at some point this weekend to run this by somebody uh, this weekend, Okay. So take a couple minutes and I'll transition us into worship in a minute. I want to invite you to keep being with the Lord throughout the weekend with this stuff. He has a lot to say to us, I think. As we transition into worship, um, I want to invite the worship team up. And I want to say this, if you identify with Eve in the garden, if you identify with her struggle... Welcome to the party. I want to end with this image. It's an Advent painting. You may have seen it before. It's called Virgin Mary Consoles Eve. And it's been, it's been an image I've been meditating on this recent Advent season. And it's fascinating because this phrase, take and eat... That phrase, take and eat, that that is what took Eve out of the garden. She took and she ate. But the next time we see that phrase in scripture, take and eat, the next time it's mentioned is the Last Supper. When Jesus is with his disciples and he says, this is my body, this is my blood which is poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and eat. Jesus redeems this phrase. He redeems this experience. He he gives of himself. He leads us back into right thinking. He leads us back into right relationship. And then he sends us out. Okay, this... This gospel, this grace, it's not just the message that we share with people. It's, it's actually our motivation. His grace is our motivation, and, and it's our own rescue story. Okay? Take and eat.
no longer of guilt or fear or shame, but of forgiveness, new life, peace. Let's pray. Lord, you made us, and you know how to speak inside the design of who we are and how we hear. Lord, turn down the soundtracks that are not from you, God. Help us hear you tonight. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your Holy Spirit, who's happy to do it. Amen.